Titus chapter 2, verse 2. Verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that any opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. This is the word of our Lord. Father, we thank you so much for your grace appearing in Jesus. We thank you for this salvation that we can have, this sure hope that we can have in him. Open our hearts and our minds as we come to you in your word through Titus to learn how to live your way, not ours. I pray that you also help me as I speak clearly as I ought. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do these pictures have in common? Police, army, doctors, nurses, the royal family. They all have, um, some have uniforms. They all have a public identity and certain sets of responsibility. Um, two years ago, I got to consult and work uh, for six weeks with the Queensland Crime and Corruption Commission. And it's the same thing. During induction, they gave you this pass. And in induction, they tell you a couple of things that you need to learn. But a few things struck me. One, they said, once you leave the building, make sure you take the pass off, put it in your pocket. Because apparently, the public sometimes don't like the officers of the Crime and Corruption Commission. So you might get abused verbally and so on. So that's a public image. Um, that we need to uphold. The other thing they told me that struck me is um, when you're off duty or you go to another site when you're, you know, I, I sometimes consult in various government departments um, and they say if you see something dodgy because you're the Crime and Corruption Commission officer, you are obligated to record that incident. So you have certain responsibilities as an army officer, as a nurse, as a doctor, um, as police, as the royal family, to do certain duties. There's external and also um, responsibilities that you have. However, there's a big difference between these people and us as Christians. All of them had to earn that responsibility. 
They had to train. They had to fight and win a war in the kingdom, potentially. They had to study four or five years in medical school. I had to provide my CV to become a consultant at Triple C. As Christians, we didn't have to do anything to receive this besides trusting in Jesus. Now, how do we, now that we are Christians, how do we live God's way? That's the topic um, of discussion today. Last week, Pastor Iyi talked about how we are saved. We are saved by trusting in Jesus. It's not what we do. It is by what Jesus has done on the cross. And that's grace. But Iggy did leave out quite an important verse and a little clue for today. And after the sermon, he did say he left it for me. So we're going to look at that, just a glimpse into last week, what he left out. Ephesians 2.10. And it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that's the focus of today's sermon. Today we'll, um, we'll be focusing on Titus 2. So before we start, I'll give you a bit of background, uh, contextual background of the letter. Titus is a letter, a letter written by Paul to Titus. Titus um, is a pastor of his church. And Paul is teaching Titus to teach us in Titus 2. And in a way... Um, uh, teach his church and in a way to teach us as well. And I'll be focusing on verses 11 to 14 and I'll refer to 2, and 2 to 10 as examples. So focusing on um, 11 to 14, there's, in summary there are three parts and you can follow along in the bulletin, the, the, the sermon outline broken into these three parts. What God has done, what are we to do and what's it all for? So the first one is fairly simple. What has God done? There are two actions in verse 11. Appeared and bringing. Something has appeared and something is uh, bringing. Notice one is in past tense and one is ongoing. It is not hard to work out just by reading verse 11 that it is Jesus Christ in both of this. He has appeared and He is bringing. He appeared in the form of grace of God and is bringing salvation. Coincidentally, these are two points that um, in reverse matches the last two weeks' sermon. So I'm not going to go into huge details, but I'll give you a quick summary. Grace and salvation through Jesus Christ. First, grace of God has appeared in the flesh in the form of Jesus. It is by, grace, by the grace of God because we did not deserve this, and nothing we could have done could save ourselves. It is salvation brought through Jesus Christ because in our sin and rebellion, we deserve the wrath of God. But because of Jesus and what He has done on the cross, we can have this assurance, as Pastor Ben said, past, present, and future. Notice it's saying, bringing salvation to all people. It means the future as well, to all of us. So grace, Jesus, appeared and He brings salvation to all people. But what are we to do with this? First, I'd like to walk us through what we, to, we are to do, and then I will tell, I'll tell you why this is so important. First, we notice the word training at the beginning of verse 12, or in some translations, teaching, which kind of implies to the reader if there's something to be trained, there's something to be learned. So we are to learn something. What are we to learn? 
we are to learn two things. First, a renouncing action. So we are to renounce or say no to ungodliness and worldly desires. And then we are to move towards something. We are to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. So we are to move away, renounce ungodliness, which means things God doesn't want us to do, and our worldly desires, so things of this world, the pleasures and the things that we may be enticed to do that is not right, and walk towards self-control, it's the opposite of giving in to worldly desires. So we are to live self-controlled lives, upright and godly lives, which is what God wants us to do, godly lives. So if we move away and we move towards, this is what it means to live God's way. But how can we do this? What is given to us to help us? If you notice again the word training, it is an active word. And it's, there's a comma and it's training. It's not the start of the sentence, it's the middle of the sentence. It's a linking word. If you notice um, the verses before. Now, I'll, I'll give you an illustration of how that works. We know that the, in verse 11, it means Jesus. We're, Jesus is training us. How does he do that? I'll give you an illustration. Um, who here knows Steve Jobs or Bill Gates? All nodding heads, yeah. Okay, we're Asian. We don't raise hands. We nod heads. Um, if you don't know, Steve Jobs is the creator of Apple. And Apple is not the Apple, but the devices, right? Mobile phones, iPads, and so on. Um, and Bill Gates created Windows or Microsoft with Windows and Office. They have one thing in common. They're both uni dropouts and they created their company in, from the garage, right? So the idea here is, uh, I, I was recently talking to a professor in QUT, um, and they created a course called Entrepreneurship. So there are people now going to this course learning to be entrepreneurs. So I asked this professor, so what, what, what are they, you know, they want to do a startup, what is the product? Oh, they don't know what the idea is, what the product is, they just want to be an entrepreneur. So I'm going, scratching my head, going, they must be looking at Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, or any success, Elon Musk, any successful entrepreneurs out there. They're gazing at these people, awestruck by the success they have, so much so that they're going to train to be an entrepreneur. In the same way, we are to look at Jesus in such awe and such drive to want to see how important that is in our lives, to then train us to renounce and to live this way. So I, uh, Paul Tripp, who's a famous writer, um, author of many books and a preacher of our time, in one of his books, Awe, he said this, when awe of God, I think I've got, yeah, when awe of God has captured your heart, ministry, or living God's way with good works will fill your schedule. We, do, we won't need church to schedule ministry for you. We will approach work, marriage, parenting, extended family, friendships, and community with ministry mentality. So what he's saying is, if the awe of God, if you're gazing at Jesus, is so magnificent, it should compel us. It's not that we will, oh, when is Bible study again? We would know exactly when it is and we'll be having this zeal to go towards learning about God's Word. 
So how often should we do this? Where, to whom would this apply? For this, I will address the elephant in the room. Um, and something that I've skipped over until now, not at the beginning, but until now. And hopefully, Pastor Steve didn't notice, or Ben, when he's listening to the recording, hi Ben, uh, didn't notice um, when they're doing an evaluation of my preaching. And that is the word for. In verse 11, at the beginning of the verse, there's a word for. It's a conjunction, it's a linking word, and normally, as Pastor Steve likes to say, when we, when we see that word, we have to ask ourselves altogether now, what is the for there for? So it is important then to note that anything before that verse is important to be explaining what to come. So I'll read to you, I think here, blanking that. I'll read to you verses 2 to 10. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say against, uh, about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. For the grace of God has appeared. So when and to whom? Pretty much everyone, all the time. If you think of it, Paul is saying to all the roles that we hold, we are older men or younger men, we are husbands, we are wives, we are older women, we are younger women. In the Bible, bond servants can sometimes be re, uh, relate to workers. Pretty much all the time, everywhere, this applies. But what's it all for? Why, after as a Christian, we are to live God's way this way all the time, everywhere we are? Raise your hands or nod if you know what hashtag YOLO means. Hashtag YOLO, yes. For those older ones of us who don't know what YOLO means, it means you only live once. When you're jumping off a cliff on a bungee and you're taking a photo like this and you're posting it on Instagram, you go hashtag YOLO, right? You only live once. You do whatever you want, however you want, all the pleasurable things of life. Why? Because you only live once. YOLO. I don't know if some of you follow this... Um, news, these guys were going to YOLO as well, or so they think. The, the royal family, they wanted to have their cake and eat it, right? They wanted to have the identity, the riches, the fame of being a royal family. But then Prince Harry and his wife decided, oh, we don't want the responsibilities, the hard relationship problems that come with it. We want to be by ourselves. They want to exit as they call it in this magazine. Have your cake and eat it. 
YOLO. It is very dangerous for us to think like that, that just because we have salvation, past, present, future, that we are all right. I've got a ticket to heaven. When Jesus comes again, I'll just show the ticket of Jesus on the cross. I'll enter into heaven. I'm covered, right? Maybe I'll just do the bare minimum to be in the club. I'll come occasionally to church when I can wake up, tick. I'll pray sometimes if I can remember, otherwise before a meal, tick. I'll come to Bible study and pretend that I know those things, tick. But Monday to Friday, I'll be studying, I'll be working, and then at night I'll be tired, I'll be watching Netflix till very late, and then the next morning I'll do it all again, and on Saturday it's my me time. I'll do YOLO stuff. And then Sunday I come to church, tick. What's it all for? No, right? It is very important to get our heads around this. What is the purpose we are saved? We are saved, let me read from verse 12 again. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who who gave himself for us, for what? To redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So, let me read what Paul is saying or what Paul is not saying. This is verses 11 to 14, YOLO version. Okay? For by grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, giving us a free pass to do whatever we want, however we want, whenever we want, while we wait for Jesus to come again, who gave himself for us to redeem us so that we can get to heaven to continue to do whatever we want, however we want, and whenever we want. Maybe occasionally we can wave to God when he walks by. That is not what this passage is saying. We are saved for a purpose. We are saved, first of all, redeemed for God as His possession, verse 14. We are saved as His pure, holy representatives. We are saved to be zealous for good works. Our actions matter before Jesus comes again. Internally, we are to be turning away, moving away from ungodliness and worldly passions and moving towards self-controlled and godly and upright lives. Externally, we are to be working for, towards zealousness. Zealous means to have the passion to want to do this. Zealousness for good works. And what are the things we do? That's all in verses 2 to 10. I'll let you read them again yourselves. Finally, we can notice here also from verse 14 that it's not just all up to us. Who's the one that's actually doing this? It's not a passive process. Jesus is purifying and helping us towards this zealousness for good works. So let's put this together. How does this picture look like? We are to gaze, so have our heart, eyes set on Jesus that's constantly training us to, to do this. And we are to then 
move away, turn from worldly passions, ungodliness, and to move towards live self-controlled lives, um, and then move towards zealousness for good works, action. So what does this mean for all of us here? This passage is primarily directed at Christians who have um, trusted in Jesus, but there is also a little bit of uh, observations you can have as a non-Christian. So for the non-Christians here, there's two things you can observe. One, living a moral life or being holy is something that you are supposed to do or uh, uh, um, strive towards after you put your trust in Jesus, not before. You can't be perfect before. There's nothing you can do to tick all the boxes to get salvation. Jesus gives it freely. The other thing you can observe is us Christians, as soon as we say yes to Jesus, it doesn't mean that instantly we are perfect. We are not perfect. We are called to do this now, constantly working towards holiness and living God's way. We have no ability to do it ourselves, but because we trust in Jesus, Jesus is the one actively doing that in us and for us. But we, as Christians, we know we are sinful, but we also know we are loved as a ch- as child of God, as His possession. But for the non- for the Christians here, how are you going with your holiness? How are you going with zealousness for good works? Are you gripped by the gospel? Are you in awe of it? And this is where this rookie preacher will not be. Well, might get into trouble for saying these things, but I'll say it anyway. It is easy to tick off these big ticket items, isn't it? Don't look at things you're not supposed to look at on the street or at night on the screen. Tick. Don't go to the golf course. You guys are probably too, some of you might golf, I don't know. Go to the golf course on Sunday. Come to church. Tick. Don't buy big and expensive things. Give it to church. Tick. Don't swear, don't steal, don't murder, don't cheat, tick, tick, tick. All these are big ticket items that are very easy to say, yeah, I'm doing this. This is easy. But I want us to dig deeper. I want us to turn from this functional way of thinking of living God's way into everyday life. So some of these things are based on true events that are generalized, just like the movies. As a student, I've heard people say, bro, I'm very tired, cannot. Uh. Yesterday, I watched Netflix many, many episodes. What next thing I know? 2 a.m. Bro, I've been gaming. This game was so nice to play. Next thing I know, 3 a.m. What does that do? If you're tired, you can't have self-controlled godly lives because you'll be t- you'll be easily angry, easily frustrated. When you're tired, you can't concentrate on Bible study or or doing one-to-one with people because you've got no time. I'm so tired, I can't meet someone. What about workers? I've heard, some of you do work, I've heard someone come to me and say, I'm so busy at work, I can't take out lunchtime to bring this non-Christian to a gospel event. I'm so busy at work, I've got no time to have coffee with that non-Christian so that I can get to know him, so that I can preach the gospel to him. I've got no time. So I work 
9 to 5 or longer, and then I'm tired at the end of the day, and then I binge watch Netflix, and then I do what I want on Saturday, and the cycle repeats. I am here on this earth as a worker to earn money, to earn more money, to get property, to then get more money, to get more property, so that my kids can have a cushy life and all they want. They can study in the best schools, and so that they can have security. What is security in this picture? As parents, if, you're, if you are a mum and you do the same thing, it's double the time. You spend 60-70% of your life at work. Then 20-30% of the, that time to rest and recuperate. And then 10% perhaps, if you remember, you go to church. You double that husband and wife. How would your kids learn this? Because what they will learn is not turning away from worldly desires. They will learn that we would earn lots of money, go on big holidays. They will learn that I need to do well in this life, not the life to come. As retirees, there isn't many, none of them here, but I'll say it anyway. <laughs> you have a lot of free time to hang out. I wish I was retired and have a lot of free time. I don't. What do you talk about? What do you do? Even if you go on a cruise, what do you talk about? Are you building up or are you breaking down? Are you gossiping about someone else when you talk about those things? Are you sucked into the world's desires to say something bad about someone or a situation? Or are you encouraging, asking people how they really are? John Piper is a famous theologian, writer, and preacher of our time. And in the year 2000, he preached to about 40,000 students at once. And it was kind of called the seven minutes that changed a generation. You can Google um, this uh, in a moment. I'll tell you how to find this sermon. But he said this. I'll shorten it. It's not going to be seven minutes. I'll shorten it. I'll read a segment of what he said. I tell you what is a tragedy. I'll read to you from the Reader's Digest what a tragedy is. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the northeast five years ago, when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida. They have a cruise they, 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 where they cruise on their 50-foot boat, playing softball and collecting shells. That's a tragedy. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream, the American dream. A nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement, collecting shells. As your last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account of what you did. Here, Lord, my shell collection. I've got a good swing. Look at my boat. Don't waste your life. Don't waste it. 
Friends, there's no room in this message today for shells or boats. No room today for big holidays, for a big promotion, for a big career, or prestige in a good school with a fancy degree. There's only gazing at the cross, turning away from these worldly desires and ungodliness, moving towards self-controlled, godly, upright lives, and zeal for good works as His people. Let me pray. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for being so distracted in this temporary life to forget who we are. We are your people, saved by Jesus for good works. Help us, Lord, to repent of anything that would distract us from this and to keep gazing in the awe of you through Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen.